It's time for another episode of Corner of the Galaxy from the Box. The show that gets you behind the scenes of the LA Galaxy and into the minds of soccer reporters and MLS experts. Your hosts for the day are Corner of the Galaxy's Josh Gessman and LA Times soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Let's start the show. Hello everybody, welcome to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Coming to you on Monday, April 23rd. Uh, after the LA Galaxy's 2-0 loss to Atlanta United on StubHub Center on Saturday. Uh, an interesting game. I thought it was an interesting game anyway. Uh, we, we're going to certainly talk about that game and talk about what we can expect from the Galaxy. Maybe some things that we learned from this particular game. Uh, joining me as always is uh, is our intrepid reporter, ready and willing to help us out at a moment's notice, Mr. Kevin Baxter. Kevin, how's it going, buddy? Hey, I really like your idea about the radio show. The morning zoo format, Panda and Pato in the morning. Yeah, you're, you're we, jumping on that big time, huh? No, yeah, I mean, but terrestrial radio is dead, as we know. And so is newspapers, for that matter. Yes. So are newspapers. Um, but so we could go, like, on Sirius XM. You know, we could be satellite radio. Um, you know, let, let's let's just start now. We'll spin our first spin our first record here. There it is. Haircut 100. What do you oh, think? Oh, my God. This is... I'm glad the quality's so low, so I don't have a have like a copyright issue on that. Yeah, I don't. I, if anybody was driving, they just swerved off the road, Kevin, and it's all because of you. So yeah, that's uh, that's great. Hey, did you have a good time at the game on Saturday night? Did you enjoy your your busy Saturday that you had? That was a really busy Saturday. Yeah, but um, you know, it, did I enjoy it? No, I'm the Galaxy. Th- one goal in three games. I mean, th- with Salatan Ibrahimovic. They're supposed to do better than that. I mean, they got Omar, Ola Kamara. That's the guy they wanted right. all winter long. We heard they needed. This is the guy they targeted. Uh, only three other players in MLS scored more goals in the last two seasons. He's He hasn't scored since the first half of the first game. Ramon Alessandrini, the guy who was their returning leader in, in goals and assists, hasn't scored since the first half of the first game. Um, Ibrahimovic has their last three goals. Uh, when he scores, they win. Every time he scores a goal, they win. When he doesn't score a goal, they lose. Guess what? They've lost three times and they've won twice since he came. Right? Is that right? Do I have that right? Uh, let's see. They lost the game before they uh, before he came. Right? Yes. They they, did. they won LAFC. They won Chicago. Oh yeah. So yeah. they're what two and two then with yeah. him. Um, so it, it's it's not working out the way it's supposed to work out. They just you know last year the excuse was they just didn't have the talent. There was injuries. Yada yada. This year they appear to have the talent. Um, they still have the injuries, but you know they worked on depth. That was their big mission all winter, depth, and it just, uh, it, it's just—it's not happening. But as you point out rightly, they have played uh, just a monster of a schedule uh, yeah. here in the early going. Just really, really tough games. Yeah, I mean, if you go and and just there, okay. So the Galaxy have lost three games, Kevin. Right, three games, and they've lost in those games a combined score of six to one. By the way, um, they lost to New York City on the road. Uh, that was a 2-1 score. They lost to Sporting Kansas City at home. That was a 2-0 score. And they lost to Atlanta United 2-0 at home. All right? And certainly people who want to ring the alarm bells about how bad the Galaxy are this year and that they're no better than last year are going to tell you that it looks the same. And it, it doesn't look the same. And if you think it looks the same, then you know get the prescription checked a little bit. But the teams that they have lost to so far, Kevin, are ranked number one, number two, and number three in the league right now. And, by the way, 
if you look at those three teams, they're the three clear front runners through seven or eight games. It's not even close. Sporting Kansas City is the best team in the Western Conference, despite the fact I didn't want to give them that moniker before they played the Galaxy. But watching them play in person and watching them play since then has certainly convinced me of that. New York City is, I, I think, was going into this season the the MLS Cup favorites, and they have they've continued to be that. Granted, they just got blown out by Portland over the weekend, but I see that more as a, as a bump on the road than anything else. Uh, it certainly didn't hurt their overall standing whenever you look at the, how things are, are lined up right now in the Eastern Conference. Um, and then they lost to Atlanta United, who was probably outside of New York City, the, sec- the team that is also an MLS Cup favorite and has been playing great. So you had the, you, so far the Galaxy have played the three top teams in the league and granted, it's early, I get it, but you can see it with your eyes that these are the three best teams in the league right now, and they lost all three. To me, that's not a panic-inducing like m- mood that I should be in. In fact, if I'm looking at anything, I'm saying, well, it's got to just get easier from here. Um, well, that, that, well, that's but, how but I see that, it. That, but it doesn't. That's the problem. I mean, they play New York, New York Red Bulls this week, uh, and then they go on the road for three in a row. They got Houston, Dallas. Uh, the third game might be a little easy. Montreal, but they've got to go all the way across the continent to play that game. When you look at the the galaxy, it really is kind of a uh, is the glass half full or half empty? And by that I mean yes, they 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 played to a draw in Vancouver, very tough game, a good opponent, a team that people have talked about as being one of the favorites in the Western Conference. They played there, missing a lot of players to uh, international duty and injury, and they got a scoreless draw. That's a pretty good result. Then the game in Chicago, the worst conditions that many of the Galaxy players have ever played in. Managed to get out of a team they should beat, but given the conditions, uh, they did a great job, I thought, to get out of there with a one nothing result. Um, Atlanta United, I think it's the best team in the league. They played really well. They were very impressive. But but then you look at the Galaxy, been outscored 4 nothing in the last two games at home. Fortress StubHub has not returned. It, the team's still struggling at the StubHub Center. And this New York Red Bull game, I, I think it's really important because, as I said, then they go out for three on the road. Um, you know, to, to uh, then their final game, they, they have two more games at home in May. So it's a busy schedule in May for one thing, five games. But th- the first three on the road, including the cross-continent trip to Montreal, this uh, is an important little uh, spate of games here, I think, for the Galaxy. Yeah, I mean, okay, so so look at this, though. Again, I'm going to put this in, in maybe a little bit more of a, of a calming perspective. If you look at the teams that the Galaxy have beat... All right, their average rank is in 12th position. So basically, if you look at, you know, Portland is was is ranked 15th. LAFC is currently ranked 5th right now, right? Chicago is ranked 16th. So, if you look at those, you'd say, okay, again, I'm trying to figure out where the Galaxy sit. And the Galaxy are not down at the bottom of the Western Conference this year. And they're not at the bottom of the league either, Kevin. And you can tell it already just from the games that they've won. They're beating the teams as you said that they were supposed to beat. All right, they're beating the the Portlands, who's ranked 15th right now. All right, they they beat LAFC, who is currently ranked was ranked below them whenever they played them, and is now ranked actually above the LA Galaxy. But they beat LAFC, a game that maybe they got a little lucky in, but they beat them. Chicago ranked 16th, again, a game that the Galaxy should have won. The ones that they haven't won have a combined rank. Their three losses have a combined rank average table position of two, which means that it's the top three teams in the league. There's nothing in this that tells me right now that the Galaxy, who nobody expected to be at the top of the league, Kevin, coming into this coming into this this season, nobody was like, oh, the Galaxy have fixed all their problems. They're going to be at the top of the league. Nothing in this has told me that the Galaxy are a worse 
or even close to a team that they were last year where they were clearly the worst team in the league. And maybe not even clearly. Maybe they were the bottom three teams. Maybe some results didn't break their way. Some other things that happened. All those things, when you look at them, that's what I see from this LA Galaxy team. Again, Atlanta is, and you're right, they haven't been scoring goals. Clearly. And if you're looking for somebody to blame on this, whether it's defense or offense, blame the offense because the defense is actually ranked higher in the league than their offense is. So for me... The LA Galaxy is about getting some chemistry, getting these guys playing together at the same time. And you saw it against Atlanta United. I'm sorry, but I, you know I'm a big fan of Baggio Husidic, Kevin. Uh, Jonathan Dos Santos is a better soccer player than Baggio Husidic. And that last-minute scratch that happened whenever Jonathan Dos Santos got injured uh, screwed up any game plan the Galaxy had going against Atlanta United. And from all the comments I get where they say there was this giant hole in the midfield, it only proves that point over and over again. Well, I want to talk about personnel again in a minute because the, you know Atlanta United was fast going in, and they they were faster than I think. I mean, it was a, a like an Olympic 400 meter relay team. Uh, they were really quick up front, and the two fastest players on the Galaxy roster. Granted, they're not defenders, uh, but Boateng and, and Ariel Lasseter, you know, didn't even dress. So I, I you know, we, we need to talk about that. But you talk about where the Galaxy are. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they played some quality opponents, held their own, not gotten blown out. Um, but I, I do think there are some warning signs, and and you're right. Offensively, they are second to the la- second to the bottom in the Western Conference in scoring. Only Seattle have scored fewer goals than the Galaxy this season. And again, that would be fine uh, if the Galaxy were a team that 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 you know was defensive minded or whatever. This was a team again with uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. They're supposed to score goals with Ola Kamara, with uh, Roman Alessandrini, with. The two Dos Santos brothers, this is supposed to be a dangerous offensive team. They got one shot on goal against Atlanta United. Now, granted, Atlanta's won five in a row, or uh, unbeaten in five in a row. They're a very good team, but they're, you know, they're not supposed to be the best defensive team in the league. The Galaxy needs to get more than one shot against teams like Atlanta. Yeah, and, and I can see that. And by the way, if you put the Galaxy in the full bracket of all the teams, they're not second to last in the league in offense. They're like 18th. No, but in the conference, there's yeah, but it, it, yeah, but in the conference, that's what I'm saying. But if you look at it in all of these and how it goes, they're tied with Vancouver right now. Um, you know, in terms of uh, of where they are with the offense, and then you have Seattle underneath them, but DC United, Toronto, Philadelphia, there's some other teams underneath them. So whatever you look at that, I mean, just the average starting positions from those. Because I went, what I did today in the uh, in the by the numbers column, by the way, was go and chart the different sort of metrics that we could. And so the goals against, which is the defense, right? Really looking at the defense, the Galaxy have given up 10 goals. They currently sit in 11th place overall in the league uh, with goals against. Whenever you're looking at the, at the, um, the goals for, you can look at the, they sit in 18th right now overall in the league. And then like goal differential, they sit, I think, in 13th, right, with the minus two. So even if you're trying to put all, all this put together, I'm trying to figure out how good the Galaxy are. And right now, what it's telling me, Kevin, is that the Galaxy are middle-of-the-road team, which, by the way, is a vast improvement from bottom of the cellar down there. And when you put together all of the injuries that the Galaxy have had and all these other things, I'm just, I'm just not in panic mode. There's no reason to be in panic mode. Sure, there's warning signs. Absolutely. The Galaxy need to score some goals. Um, ever since Siggy Schmidt has come on the Galaxy, have had a lack of scoring goals. So certainly you need to ring the alarm bell a little bit there. But at the same time, you look at the designated players and how often the designated players have played, Kevin. And they've only been available, excuse me, they've only played 41.4% of the total minutes that have been available to the LA Galaxy 
this season. So you're not getting your best players on the field, at least not through these first seven games. Well, how about this? If you look at, they've got at three and a half games with Zlatan, right? Came in, call it a half game, came in uh, second half against LAFC. They've scored four goals with him on the field. They scored four goals in three and a half games, right, without him on the field. So it really hasn't been that much of a difference. And we know what he can do. We saw what he can do against LAFC. We saw it against Chicago. So I guess my question is, are they better or worse with Zlatan on the field? Now, that's a dumb question, except for, do they change their style of play to him? Does he become the focus of everything? Um, Ziggy talked a little bit about this weekend after the game about how uh, Ola is doing things that he is probably not accustomed to doing and probably not his strength. He's backing, he's backtracking a lot. He's playing a lot of defense. He clearly has moved uh, or, or, you know, uh, has taken on a different role when Zalatan's on the field. Alessandrini's had to play a completely different position. He's not comfortable there. He's not happy there. So I'm wondering it. Well, okay, that's that's I, that's one of the things that I've argued with already. What position is Alessandrini playing that's different? He's on the right wing. He's been playing the right wing for since he played for the Galaxy last year. I heard him complaining about the formation as well. His involvement and what he does is basically the same all the time, which is right wing, all offense, no defense. Right? And we know that. That was what he played last year, and that's what he had. And even in a different formation, he's in the right wing, and he's at the same spot. So I argue a lot that in this new formation, which is a 4-4-2, Right, and it's and as 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 Erica, my co-host on Thursday night, he calls it the missionary of of soccer formations, which it is. I agree with that. But in this four four two, his positioning hasn't really changed. His requirements of what he's doing hasn't changed, except that in the four four two, just like in the three, you know, or the four two three one one, um, you know, he still has to play some defense, um, and he's just not doing that. So I don't get his complaints. I get other people's complaints. Ola Kamara, for sure. Ola has been a single striker uh, in a single striker uh, position, just like Zlatan Ibrahimovic has been from for a lot of his career in those single number nine sort of striker roles. And now they're being asked to play side by side and having to have a real partnership together. I expect that's going to take games to get to. But for for Roman Alessandrini, where is his change? Why is he? I for me, I just think he's rusty and you know gets upset easily. But I, I just don't get his his complaints right now. Well, I think you hit on something. I mean, I think people are getting frustrated and complaining. And when you look at the formation, okay, so if we decide Zlatan and on Ola side by side is not uh, – the chemistry is not there and it's not the best position for either one of them, why not go with uh, – you know, why not try, say, uh, a, a fourth – a four four one one. Why would that not work? Why would not have one of them as a withdrawn forward, whoever it would be, uh, and let them and then have the other one be the target striker. Perhaps they can can move back and forth depending on 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 how the defense reacts to them. But rather than have them think that they need to play side by side, why not shake that up a little bit? And and someone would have to uh, to swallow hard and and be the the withdrawn forward. But it would probably work better than what they're doing now. I mean, okay. So what's the big difference between a four four two and a four four and a four four one one? Well, because I think you have a defined target striker. I think a lot of times athletes they get used to a certain role, like that certain role. And again, I'm going to fall back on the baseball analogy. You know, a relief pitcher who's a closer um, is comfortable in that role and wants to be used in that role. Perhaps 
one or both of those guys would would benefit from knowing, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is my role. Has it been clearly defined? Perhaps it has. Perhaps they it has been clearly defined, and the 442 is only something that happens on paper. But it would seem to me that if if those guys knew exactly what they were supposed to be doing, if the, if the offense was a little bit better defined, um, it, it might work out a little better. I thought in Chicago they were very dangerous at the start, and Olam was very much involved. If you remember, you know there were the two offside calls, but he was very much involved in the first ten minutes, um, and I didn't see him all that much. And tell me where I'm wrong, but I didn't see him all that much involved in Atlanta. Certainly not like he was in the first half against Chicago. He he was way involved. It just wasn't necessarily involved in scoring chances. And and by the way, there was only one shot on goal from Ramon Allison Drini in the 60th minute. So I'm not sure there were a whole bunch of scoring chances. The actual, the best provider on the team, the guy who created the most chances, was a guy who has been creating a ton of chances for the Galaxy and from a position that he just gets absolutely killed at all the time by fans who watch this is that Rolf Felcher is the creator right now for the offense, which as a right back probably shouldn't be the case. But especially in the Atlanta game, when there is no number 10, and that's really what this is all coming down to, um, you know, Jonathan Dos Santos, granted, is not a 10, but he's certainly a box-to-box guy who's a little more offensive and can go forward and provide and create a link between the midfield and the, and the strikers, and that's what was missing um, in this game, is that there was a hole in the middle of the field, and it was Baggio Osidic. It's not Baggio's fault. That's not his game. Um, but you know, whenever you have a last minute, you try to do a like for like, and there were certainly a lot of people who were saying, well, you should change up the entire formation then and not put Baggio in that position. Cause you know, he can't do it. And I, yeah, I mean, there's an argument to that, Kevin, but at the same time, if you train and practice something all week, uh, and then a guy goes down and is injured, you know, 20 minutes before the game starts. Do you want to change the whole formation and try to change your game plan, game plan completely? Or are you going to try a like-for-like like switch in there and see if you can make it still happen? I mean, for me, I'm going to change one piece and not seven pieces or well, nine I, I pieces. Would say, I would say actually Gio is half of a 10. He's, he's a zero right now, which he, is... Yeah, I mean, and Siggy Schmidt certainly... Listen, I mean, we're gonna, we have some audio, and that's certainly something that I want to play here. Um, but just to go, again, over... The, the loss, just a little bit. The, the fact that Jonathan Dos Santos gets the scratch here, Kevin, and uh, that started just sort of the, the interesting night that the Galaxy were going to have. Uh, Baggio Sidic slots in instead of that. Uh, Ima Boateng wasn't in the start, wasn't in the 18-man lineup, 18-man roster, and we were told at the time by the LA Galaxy that it was a coach's decision. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a shout-out to one of our listeners who got to talk to Siggy Schmidt on Sunday at the Galaxy 2 game. Uh, the Chris Zeller, Chris says, uh, I talked to Siggy at the G2 game and he said uh, that Boateng hurt his knee during the last practice, uh, which I will tell you right now is probably more accurate information than we got from from the LA Galaxy. You know why it's I, I believe it's more accurate is because I'm sure Boateng was at the game somewhere. I don't right. know where he was. Right. He was at the game. Um, so unless he already had a couple of beers or something. When when Dos Santos can't go, it, is there a, they can't, any they, reason why they, they can't they, they can't, can't just dress him? If a guy can't. gets hurt in warm-ups, you have to play no the man down. Once the 18-man roster is uh, is put out, you are not allowed to uh, you're not allowed to really even make changes. Let's say that Jonathan Dos Santos goes, hey, you know what? I can't start because I got hurt, but maybe I could come off the bench. He's not even allowed to come off the bench. In fact, Sporting Kansas City had an issue, I believe it was Sporting Kansas City last year, it may have been a different team, I think it was SKC, who did that, 
who had a guy who was like, I can't start, but I'll come off the bench. They put him in as a sub, and there was a whole big issue about how they were going to be penalized for it because it's against the rules. So once you put out your lineup, your 18-man roster, that is your 18-man roster. And if one of your starters gets hurt in warm-ups, then you are less left with a short bench. You can't start somebody else, which I know people think is stupid and ridiculous, but those are the rules, and that's how it works. So the Galaxy had a short bench on the night. They ended up having to have six players on the bench instead of seven, uh, and they had to use you know two subs basically in the same position in an... In, in, if you think about it this way, it didn't count as one of their three substitutes. But putting Baggio Husidic in there, they knew that he wasn't going to be able to go the 90 minutes. So whenever they brought Carrasco in there, that's almost like a double sub because you have guys on the bench that you, you had to use in that position. So it, it just, it really throws a wrench in things, Kevin. And it throws a wrench in things to the fact that probably any game plan, you are already going to have to play a perfect game against Atlanta because Atlanta is a much better team than the Galaxy. You're going to have to play a perfect game plan. And then this comes into it. And, and I would agree. Well, I didn't understand that rule clearly. Um, but I would have thought that that once Jonathan got hurt, uh, that Emo would address. And so now I know why he didn't. But then the second part of that that made it curious is the fact that, again, I know he doesn't play defense. He's, but he is the fastest guy on the team. And you're going against Atlanta. Wouldn't you want a guy out there that can at least keep up. Maybe he's not going to tackle. Maybe he's not going to take a lot of balls away. But at least he can keep up with some of those guys and harass them a little bit. I just think he would have been more effective than some of the guys that they ran out there. Uh, yeah, he could have been. I'll tell you this. I have not been impressed by Emmanuel Boateng at all during any part of these first seven games or first six games that he was uh, that he was able and ready for. So, I, to be honest, I wasn't surprised whenever the coach's decision came in. And I'm all for speed. But for speed for speed's sake isn't going to help the Galaxy right now. And that's what Boateng is, at least currently, is he's speed for speed's sake because he's not able to finish. He hasn't been able to combine and cross. He runs into coverage more than, more than most times. I mean, the LAFC game was probably his best game, and that was when he had a horrible first half and resurrected it with a, a, at least an assist in that game. So I, I get it. I understand why you'd want to do it. And same with Ari Lasseter. Yeah, he's fast, but... Is he really going to be able to do anything against Atlanta United when he hasn't been able to do anything against anybody else? I mean, we're, 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 you're, you want speed, you want it, but the Galaxy aren't a fast team. That's just the way it is. I don't know. I, I was already under the assumption that they were going to be slower than Atlanta United regardless of who they decided to start. Okay, well, let's look on the positive side then. Um, keep going back and forth on this. It was one to nothing until, what, the 93rd minute and Absolutely. a penalty kick. So the Galaxy were within a lucky break or a lucky bounce, which is kind of what Atlanta got on their goal. Um, a lucky break or a lucky bounce of a, of a draw. Now, they, they shouldn't have been at – I don't know that they should have been in that position at home. I mean, you know, I'm still used to the stub-up fortress days, and I miss those days. But it wasn't – I still think Atlanta is the best team in the league. I like them better than New York City. Um, so if, if you buy that and you say, okay, they're the best team in the league and the Galaxy had all these problems and they – they had guys perhaps playing out of position. They had one. They had to make two subs at one position because of an injury and warm-ups. They're still a lucky breakaway from tying that game. Absolutely, a hundred percent correct. That is the positive side of that, and that is something that the Galaxy that that you can't look at. And I know people are certainly on about the referee in this game, Kevin. And I used to, I I am the guy who does not like referees as in general. I think they do poor jobs. I think they do a poor job of man of managing the game. And I think uh, Baldomero Toledo is is one of the guys who I'm not a big fan of at all at any point whenever he referees a game. So and that doesn't matter who's playing. That being said, 
I can't disagree with any of the calls, and that includes the penalty kick that that uh, Steris gave up. Uh, yes, Almiron certainly draw, dr- uh, leaves the leg down there, Kevin. Uh, certainly draws the penalty, but it was a penalty, and, and Steris shouldn't have been down to block to to allow Almiron to run into him. Uh, the the penalty kick that ended up being called in the ninety you know third ninety fourth minute. Uh, on Jorgen Shelvick was a clear penalty to me. I didn't think there was any issues with that. Uh, the only one where I'm a little bit up in the air is the Zlatan one. Um, and that one in the box, and Zlatan goes for a ball, and is he going to be anywhere near that ball? I don't know. It's going away from goal. I don't know. Is there enough contact there that really a guy who is six foot five should be falling over? I mean, it would have been nice to get for the Galaxy to get that. I certainly think that they... They almost deserve to to get bailed out at that point. But you look at Atlanta as well, Kevin, and they were... I mean, it was like a shooting gallery for most of this game. The Galaxy had one shot on goal. Um, Atlanta United had uh, b- 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 seven shots on goal, I think, and like 20 total shots. I have the, the stats here. Yeah, they had 19 total shots and seven on goal. Uh, 19 total shots, seven on goal, correct. Yep, yeah. So, I mean... You look at that and three bars, right? So three cross or two crossbars and a post. Uh, Fifteen shots from inside the box, by the way. That's a lot. Oh, it's a ton. I mean, Atlanta should have been winning by more. So you look at this and say, yes, the Galaxy did well. And I want to say that I'm in agreement with you. I think if you're the Galaxy, you almost played a perfect game plan in the fact that you were only losing by one goal going into, you know, the last 10, 15 minutes. I thought it was well played. I thought they, they were confident and... And a lot more patient in the second half, Kevin, which is, you know, everybody talks, all the players talked about a better second half than a first half. They were. That's true. They did everything they could. They just couldn't get the service in. And Siggy Schmidt's right. People weren't pulling the triggers and weren't taking shots and weren't taking risks. But at the same time, I have to imagine that Atlanta United's defense played well enough, Kevin, that they uh, they were able to sort of hold out um, and take a lot of those chances away. I mean, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, didn't have a shot. Not a shot on goal. Not a shot. Did not have a shot the entire game. And he went all 90 minutes. Well, I, and I don't want anyone to think that I'm absolving the Galaxy of all their sins. I mean, <laughs> they, they they did play a very good Atlanta team even until the final minute uh, of stoppage time when there was a second penalty shot. But they're still not scoring. They have the, all the offensive weapons they wanted and more when you add Zlatan in. And they're not scoring. They haven't won consecutive games all season. Um, you know they've lo- they've been shut out in consecutive games on the road. They scored one goal in their last three games. Um, there is still a, a lot that needs to be fixed. And granted, I, I, it's against good teams, but that's how you get to the playoffs. You beat good teams, or you at least play them to a draw. Uh, in um, the Western Conference, you might just have to be slightly above mediocre right now. But yes, I, I know what you're saying in terms of. Can I tell you what? Can I tell you? Let's see. How do I want to approach this? Yeah, let's do, uh, just if you're going to project the home wins, right? And the Galaxy are 2-2 two and two at home, all right? Which is not great, but it's not horrible. Let's say, let's take this super small sample size of four games and project it out over the entire season. The Galaxy would basically finish with 25.5 points at home, all right? They got, I don't know how they got that half point. Maybe, they, uh, maybe, maybe that one tie instead of getting a point, they got a half point. But anyway, 25.5 points at home in 2018 if they did it. Now, if that was it was if that was projected out, there is a team here that had 25 points at home. Um, they were they were a pretty good team. There was a 2009 team that was also coming off a rebuilding year, finished with 25 points at home. All right. So, I mean, 
the two and two right now, first of all, the 14 points they had last year, Kevin, they have six six points at home already right now. So you have to feel pretty confident they're going to be a better home team. It's just a matter of how much better. And if you figure they've already played the top three teams and two of those games were, were the top, you know, one or two or three teams at home, that you have to think that it's going to get better. I know New York Red Bull will be a test for them, but it's a game that they should win. But it's a game that also will find them matched up against a team that is probably a lot closer to them than some of the other teams that they've beat. So I think it's a real sort of interesting look at the home home team, the home games at StubHub, and, and whether or not the Galaxy are going to be a better team at home this year. And obviously those are all just fake projections. But they they got to do better than, than 25 and a half points, regardless of how they get the half point, because there's 51 points available at home. They got to do better than break even, uh, you know, points wise at home. What would you think would be a good, reasonable points total? Just going off that, you're right. There's 51 points available. What do you think a good, reasonable point total would be? At home. At home. At 35, 36. Okay, so if they had 36 points, it would put them... uh, 1999 had 36 points. 35 points in 2002. 33 points in 2005. Their best season ever at home was the 2011 team who had 41 points, right? So you're saying 36 points, you know, would be a pretty Maybe that's good... a little high. See, that's what... That, and Certainly that's what in, the, in the low... In, above 30. I think they got to be above 30. I think 30 is a reasonable... And I think that because, you know, we're, we're projecting against a very tough schedule that they've already had at home, I think that, you know, 31, 32, 33 points is probably pretty reasonable for this Galaxy team. And if they do that and pick up some wins on the road, this is a playoff team. So it's, again, it's not horrible. We're not... The, it, everybody wants to panic right now. People are ready to fire Sigi Schmidt. Um, you know, nothing in the offseason worked. Uh, I got told today that the Galaxy only need, you know, that uh, the formation being a 4-4-2, every player knows how to play a 4-4-2, and so it should only take them 15 to 20 minutes to fig- to get chemistry in that. So that's what I was told today. So I just, I'll just tell you from my perspective and talking to players, they say it takes longer than that. Um, but just have a little bit of patience with this but I will tell you there's been some really big signals that came in after this game Kevin and it's what I want to focus on and it's yeah like like Gio standing out in center field trying out his Mexican national team jersey while everyone else was trying to beat Atlanta that That was interesting that is interesting let's talk about that a little bit uh first of all let's get some audio from Siggy Schmidt because what Kevin I think you and I both picked up on after the Siggy Schmidt press conference is that it sounded like Siggy had some complaining about some players Maybe that's a maybe that's a subtext that I'm putting into it, Kevin. But I think you felt the same way whenever we got done with the press conference, and and Siggy actually even almost tried to bite your head off a little bit. Not really. No, he, I deserved he, it. That, he, I have no problem with with Ziggy doing that. that he was, was very respectful, and I deserved it. It was good, and we'll play that uh, that that sound clip as well. You can sort of let people know. But here is Siggy Schmidt explaining Jonathan Dos Santos's injury after the game. Here we go. Uh, you got to talk to Jonathan. I mean, he felt something in the warmups. I uh, didn't feel he could go. Uh, it looked like he almost thought he could go. Uh, you know, consulted with our trainers, consulted with his brother and others, and uh, felt he couldn't go. Uh, you know, obviously it's disappointing, uh, but I think they were they were the better team tonight overall, uh, especially in that period of time where they dominated the game and they created opportunities. I thought there was a period of time where we carried the game as well. 
Uh, but I don't think we got enough shots off in that period. We were looking for one extra pass all the time. And uh, there's times where you just got to say, hey, we're going to hit it. All right. So there's a uh, there's a couple of things there right away. Right away. Big red flag. Not wanting to 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 speak for Jonathan, not wanting to ha- take that on, take ownership of that. You go speak to Jonathan right away. Tells me the coach not going to believe that the guy was really hurt. That, I, that That's how I read that. The second part, Jonathan talked to his brother and others. Didn't he said the trainers? Yes. Jonathan talked to his brother and others. Jonathan never talked to me. Ziggy is, seems to be saying he talked to his brother and others, maybe his dad. Who, who else knows? But the Dos Santos family seemed to have made that decision, not the coach, the general manager, or president of the LA Galaxy. Yeah, it, it, it's uh, that's exactly what I took away from it. And the fact that is you'd have to talk to John, like, hey, he didn't tell me what the problem was. And if you saw the injury and what happened, let me, and if you didn't, let me explain it because I was watching the whole thing and saw it. Uh, in the little warm-up game that the Galaxy play, which is a little uh, small square or small rectangle where they have two teams go against each other, it's basically 5v5 with a guy who plays on both teams, uh, and they pass around, and it's one touch, two touch, and then eventually unlimited touch, and they go, and this is supposed to get them warm for the game. Jonathan Dos Santos got a pass from Sebastian Legette. Uh Jonathan went to go get that pass and just sort of stepped awkwardly and immediately stood up, put his hands on his head, uh, walked off towards the trainers, and the trainers came running over, and then there was this, oh, I'm going to try it. Oh, I'm not going to try it. Oh, look, I'm running on it. No, I don't want to run on it. And so there was this testing out period. The trainers were there with him, uh, and then he left the locker room early before every, or left for the locker room early before everybody else and disappeared. But that testing went on, you know, probably for five or six minutes of, oh, he looks like he's going to play. No, he's not going to play. It was back and forth as you could see him talking with the trainers, and then you saw him walking with his brother, uh, Giovanni Dos Santos, and then you know eventually he makes it into the, into the uh, locker room, and the decision was made before he walked basically off that field that Baggio Husidic started warming up and getting ready for that, Kevin. So that's, that's how that broke down, but the fact that you have a head coach, a guy who's in charge of player personnel, a guy who is, you know, ultimately going to determine whether or not you play, you start, what position you're in, what formation it is, all these things that are going on that doesn't know the severity of your injury or claims he doesn't know and is referring to you, the player, as the person who has, he, you've got to explain it. That'd be like, Kevin, you're going to have to explain to the listeners why you don't want to record tonight, all right? I'm not going to do it. That's your job. You're going to well, have to tell them. You know what it sounded like? It's, it sounded like, like Sarah Huckabee Sanders, you know, uh, telling White House press reporters to go talk to the president's lawyer. Whenever she doesn't want to answer a question, it's always, I would refer you to the president's counsel. That, that's what that sounded like. I don't want to touch this with a 10-foot pole. You can go ask Jonathan about that. The other thing that was interesting is if, in fact, Jonathan, well, we don't know. I'm not going to say that that he wasn't hurt. But I'm just yeah. saying that he decided he would not play in after consulting with his brother and others and not with the coach, decided he wouldn't play. Then he dresses and comes out and tries to sit on, on the end of the bench in street clothes. Um, if there was any question by anyone on the bench, whether, uh, you know, as to Jonathan's commitment, and maybe there wasn't. Um, Maybe everyone was totally on board with that, although it, Ziggy didn't sound like he was. But if there was any question to come and sit on the bench in street clothes and say, hey, I'm going to cheer you guys on. Good luck without me. That probably was not the brightest thing he could have done. Yeah, it just it just didn't it didn't look good. The, the optics of it and how it comes out. And, and by the way, he then put on his Instagram account, Kevin, that it was a calf injury. All right. right. So he comes yeah, out. It was a calf strain. That's what the Galaxy had said as well. Yeah. Yeah. And but the Galaxy didn't ever announce that either it was sort of like hey we think it's a calf 
right? That was that was the initial prognosis, but it wasn't announced at the press conference afterwards, right? And it didn't come from an official source. It came from Jonathan himself, which again, in my mind says, oh, we're doing an end around on, on Siggy. You know, he doesn't need to know. And there was one reporter who was sitting in the press box who said the easiest thing in the world for him to say is that it's a calf injury because a calf can be anything and, you know, blah, 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 all these other things. And so this person was very, and uh, it was a member of uh, a, a, a member of the press who follows the Mexico national team uh, on a very, uh, on a very minute basis. So, so somebody who pays attention to these things said that, that, that there was just some questions and some eyebrows raised about whether or not what we were seeing was real or whether it was theater. And I certainly think that Siggy Schmidt is, is an, at least annoyed at the fact of how this all went down. Um, well, I used all the resources available to the LA Times syndicate to check into this and to investigate deeply, and, and I came up with calf injury as well. But you're right, because if you say if you say it's a you know if it's a leg injury and you say it's a hamstring, all of a sudden bells and whistles go off. You have to go into some sort of rehab. You you know um, the, the Galaxy have had a ton of hamstring issues, and guys have been out weeks. So you say hamstring, all of a sudden it's you go into a different protocol, a different rehab, um, and it's longer term. A calf injury is like oh uh, you know the next day you're fine. So I can't, you know the, the reporter that told you that is actually right. If you're looking for a sort of I'm really not that hurt, but I can't play. Uh, but I really don't want to do three weeks of rehab, and I do want to play again next week. Calf injury is the is the is the go-to place. Yeah, it can be. And and also, Kevin, I think we've talked about this, and if we haven't, then we'll talk about it now. Um, but we were told and had been following through, and and I think you gave a good synopsis of it because you you talked about it with Siggy Schmidt that basically. Giovanni Dos Santos and Jonathan Dos Santos were both technically cleared to be able to play against LAFC and chose not to. Um, and whether and you did a great job of explaining that Siggy had told you that you know some guys feel like they need a little more time and you want to be 100% healthy whenever you come back and there's some guys who you can't pull off the field. And that was sort of how he said... How he how he phrased that is that a correct retelling yeah, of that yeah, story? Yeah, but he also went a little further in that he said, "I want guys who want to be on the field." Right, and that to me raised the idea of again, if you if you now looking at that in twenty twenty hindsight and, and then looking at what happened with Jonathan this week, you wonder about that. You wonder a little bit about the commitment. Is are these guys playing for the LA Galaxy or are they playing for somebody or someone else at this point? And the Mexican national team would be one possible place. But, uh, you know, Ziggy did go out of his way. He was talking about, at the time, he was talking about four players. He was talking about Roman Alessandrini, Michael Ciani, and both Dos Santos brothers. And he said being physically ready is one thing. Being mentally ready is another thing. Um, I have guys who can physically play, but do they want to be out there? Um, and that raised uh, an eyebrow with me. Now, he tried to explain it the next week, saying some guys recover faster and some guys recover slower. But the fact of the matter is neither Dos Santos brother dressed for that game after training with the team and after the coach said that they were physically ready to perform. Yep, that is uh, that is absolutely true. So this, so that's again, I want to put this in context as we're going down this. This isn't raising red flags for no reason. Kevin and I have been piecing this together for for a little while here. So now let's continue on. Kevin asks a question about the offense to Siggy Schmidt. Siggy gets a little defensive and. He was. I, I agreed. I agreed with you. you. You were fine with it, and I think I was fine. I didn't see anything wrong with Siggy correcting you on this. It was good because he really explained it. So let's listen to Siggy. No, I, I, yeah. and I appreciated him. This was. I have been read the riot act by 
by a lot of uh, people with much less gravitas than Ziggy. This was a good explanation. I didn't take it. He apologized for it a couple times afterwards. I took no exception to any of this. Yeah, here, here, here. So here is uh, here's Ziggy Schmidt talking a little bit about the offense and about Ola Kamara specifically. Well, let, let's hold on. With Ola, Ola is doing so much dirty work for the others. Ola is, has sacrificed his game for the team. He's coming back and he's playing in midfield. He's defending, you know, for, for others who aren't coming back. Uh, and as a result of that, he's taken his, himself out of positions. He still had a couple of headers where he was very close at. He, you know, was almost through on another opportunity. Uh, so, I mean, he's still creating chances, but he's sacrificing himself for the team, which is, uh, you know, something that as a team we have to do uh, in order for us to play our best. But right now it's still, uh, you know, every week it, right now it's a different cast of characters. Uh, it's a different offensive grouping. And, uh, you know, until we get all of that clear and that understanding again. Yeah, so again, so Siggy Schmidt. And the re main reason I wanted to play that, two, two reasons, Kevin. One is because he really, really goes in and defends Ola Kamara on this, which is, which is, is something to note. And the reason it's important to note, I think, is because of the next part of this that comes out. He was, he was adamant, Kevin, you were wrong, which, is, which rarely happens. Rarely happens. Uh, but you were wrong and that Ola Kamara has been, is doing so much work and he's making up for others. That was, that was important to me. All right, so now we've heard that first part. Now we have to hear the second part. Kevin got corrected. Every, everything's okay now. But Siggy wanted to talk a little bit more, Kevin. He wanted to explain a little bit more about what was going on. And he used an interesting example. Now, remember, when you listen to this, he just got done defending Ola Kamara at length. And then he brought up someone who wasn't mentioned, I don't believe, up until that point. Yeah, correct. Now, well... Somebody had asked about them, but only in the way that they always ask whenever it's close to uh, the World Cup and Mexico's playing, which is how is Gio playing and blah, blah, blah. So here we go. Here's, uh, here's Siggy Schmidt finishing up his little conversation with Kevin here. Yeah, but it's not clicking because those two aren't clicking. It's not clicking because, because the rest of the service, you know, isn't quite there. You know, I think some other uh, not uh, – we haven't been able to step on the field and have all ten players have a good game at the same time. Uh, so there's always been always been missing pieces, and you know Gio's a good example tonight. You know he comes on with the best intentions, but then he he puts himself 60 yards from goal. When he's 60 yards from goal, he's not going to help us win games. And and I got others who can play 60 yards from goal. I need him to play 30 yards from goal, 40 yards from goal. So, uh, but that's something. It's his first game back, and so now if we're playing and he's in the lineup, then uh, we can start talking about that and saying, hey, get up the field. You know, this is where we need you at this time point, you know, but when you have situations where you have Rolf playing ahead of him, uh, you know, that's not going to produce offense for us. So it's those, it's those uh, mechanizations, you know, the understanding of each other that only happens from them playing together, you know, and, and that's, we haven't done that enough. And, and they take nothing away from Atlanta. They're a good team. There you go. Boom, boom. That was the bus running over Gio. That that's was. A, that's as mean and as pointed as Ziggy ever gets. Ziggy is a a beyond nice guy. Uh, like I said, I, I took no exception what he, he, the way he answered my question about Ola, and he went out of the way to apologize twice. So when he says that about Gio, that is like really, really ribald blue language for G, uh, for Ziggy to use about one of his own players. It leads me to only one conclusion right now, Kevin. It's the only conclusion that I have is that 
Jonathan Dos Santos and Giovanni Dos Santos, which has certainly been hinted at, but you know, before I've said this, but are basically more interested in worrying about the the Mexican national team than they are about the LA Galaxy right now. And apparently, uh, they must feel that that Juan Carlos Osorio is going to put them on the team regardless of their playing, because neither of them seem even a little bit motivated to go out there and really play with the LA Galaxy right now. And in, in the case of Giovanni Dos Santos, you know, I don't know how much that really hurts the Galaxy on the grander scale of things. But with Jonathan Dos Santos, you see the drop-off and you see the difference. They needed somebody to connect the midfield with the strikers, and, and you saw it. You saw Zlatan Ibrahimovic. You saw Ola Kamara dropping deeper and deeper to try to get the ball. And the bottom line is that nobody was in the center of that field pressing that ball forward and finding those guys. And that's the big thing for me right now. Is where are the Galaxy going to? I mean, if 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 you don't have two designated players who are more worried about going to Mexico than they are the LA Galaxy, Kevin, maybe you go out and you find a number ten, a midfielder who can really create. Because in a four four two, you need that creative side. You got Perry Kitchen as the defensive side, and if you ask Perry Kitchen to, excuse me, to be that guy, to be that creator, uh, it's going to hurt you defensively, and you, it's not it's not the best solution to that. And that's not why Perry was brought in. So they need to find an answer to this. And right now, the answer for me is, you know, find somebody who can play that position. If it's Giovanni Dos Santos, then put Gio in that 10 role and let him be a creator. But in my mind, it's not Sebastian Legette. Uh, it's not Roman Alessandrini. Um, you know, maybe you could put Legette in there. Maybe that makes more sense than anything else because I don't know where else you go. But you need somebody to create and be a number 10 in the galaxy ever since Giovanni Dos Santos has come on this field for the Galaxy, they have not had a number 10. I think they expected him to be that, and he's not that. And Sebastian is not a number 10, but he can play a number 10 on TV. I mean, he did that. He played in the middle a little bit under Bruce with the national team. He can do that if he has to do it. Again, it's not his best role. But when you look at, you know, you talk about the Mexican national team, I really thought that was going to be a motivator for this guys, for these guys. I thought they were going to be at their – I really expected them to have a bad second half after the World Cup, but to be really motivated right now uh, to try to prove their worth. So, you know, it, Juan Carlos Osorio is a very good coach. What is he going to do? He's going to go to the people that know these people best. He's probably going to talk to the trainers if he can, you know, if, if there's a way that he can do that. And he's certainly going to talk to the coaching staff and say, what do you think about these guys? And given what Ziggy just said, I can't imagine he's going to give them – a great recommendation and and when you look at Gio and you look at the that the the role that he would play with the Mexican national team more as an attacker you know you look at the guys they have Chicharito Hernandez Carlos Vela who's having a great season for LAFC Peralta Chucky Lozano um he's not no I don't know that he's necessarily the linchpin for that World Cup team and so he that would be a guy that I think Osorio could leave off uh you know without a whole lot of second thought Jonathan's a little bit different. They could use him in the midfield. Now they have Jonathan Gonzalez, though, who could play that role. He's 19, so a little young. Um, but they have other guys in there, Marco Fabian, Andres Guardado, people that can play in the midfield. So these guys are not locks by any stretch of the imagination. And if if, uh, if Ziggy Schmidt tells Juan Carlos Osorio what apparently he tried to tell us, I'm not so sure that these guys are on the fast track to Russia. Yeah, if you, if you think we're out of our minds connecting these dots, we'd, we'd love to hear your theory on why Siggy would go out of his way to to call Gio out in a question he was not asked about. Um, or even why he would say anything like that to Jonathan Dos Santos uh, in terms of you have to go ask Jonathan, you have to do this, you have to do that. All these things that are going on, but I mean, 
every almost to a T, every reporter who left that press conference, Kevin, was under the impression that Ziggy was trying to tell us something. Uh, well, well here, here's where it, what it gets back to. You know, Ziggy and his son Kurt did a great job, I thought, putting together a good team this year uh, in the offseason. And when they put that team together, they looked at, okay, who's our number 10? Who's our holding midfielder? Who's Who else is in the midfield? Who's our striker? We got Ola Kamara now. Great. If every, as he said, we haven't had all 10 players play a, a good game at the same time this year. That's kind of where he's going with this and saying that these guys are not playing the way that we had expected them to play when we put this team together. And so if you have a guy in a very key role who, um, I don't want to use the word quit, but who is not playing uh, with the fervor and emotion and expectation that we had, then that weakens this whole model that we put together. All the work that we did this offseason has gone to hell because these guys are not playing the way we expected them to play. And I think at some point, when a coach has a one-loss record after his name and he's losing games like this one, which was a winnable game, when he's and, losing, or and, at least a drawable game, right? Nah. When he's losing, I I no? don't I don't no. I'll it's be not honest. a winnable game. I don't. I'll be honest with you. I never thought the Galaxy were going to beat Atlanta United. I just well, okay. Just how as, about a draw? I mean, they could have got out with a result if, if they had had if, all ten guys playing. Yeah, on this. You know, I think I, they have a chance at getting a draw if that's the case. You weren't going to hold Atlanta scoreless. You knew that you were going to give up at least one goal. I thought one goal was best case scenario. They got best case scenario. All right, as far as I'm, I know the score was two nothing, but like as we already said, the penalty kick came. So I agree. But, you know, you but give look, look, Gio's an attacker, and he's yep. playing. I mean, Zlatan couldn't have scored from there. I mean, that's Steph Curry range where he was uh, hanging out there in the middle of the field, uh, and what was he doing there? And, and, and but then you also kind of have to beg the question from the Ola Kamara answer: Why was Ola back in midfield? If, if maybe maybe he was alluding to that whole thing of look, n- neither one of the Los Santos brothers wanted to play in midfield, so Ola had to come back and do that. One of them didn't dress, and the other one. Wanted to play in midfield, but not really play. So, you know, it, it, when he was saying that about Ola, kind of begged the question, well, you already have four midfielders, so why is he going back to play in the midfield? Um, and if he's going back to, to play in the midfield because other people aren't doing their jobs, then maybe it brings us back to where we were at the start of this conversation with um, maybe the Dos Santos brothers are not pulling their weight because those are guys that Ziggy counted on when he built this roster. Yeah, it, it was. And I would also say that perhaps, just, just maybe, that the... Uh, Siggy was also talking about Roman Alessandrini. Um, I saw the frustration with Roman after the game, and he's he's again, English isn't his, he doesn't have a great command of English yet, so he can't get really frustrated or really share how he feels. And sometimes the words don't come across perfectly. Um, but you could tell that he was frustrated, that there was frustration there, that he was a little bit angry. Uh, you certainly heard him talking about the formation and the difference of formation and how it works. So, I mean, there's there's stuff there, but I could see them also, I could see Siggy Schmidt also saying when Ola Kamara was coming back to work for people was that it was because Roman Alessandrini refuses to play defense. Um, that Roman Alessandrini would rather throw a temper tantrum on the field. I have no problem with Roman coming off in Chicago and flipping the bench over. Because uh, he's angry, I do have a problem with Roman throwing temper tantrums on the field while the game is being played. Um, okay, well, well, let's look at that then. A couple of things. I've always thought Roman had a little bit of Robbie Keane in him, which is fine. Yes. You know, you want a guy with some passion, uh, and Roman's the first one to challenge an official's call and and to to gesticulate when a teammate passes the ball behind him or ignores him. And, and I've always looked at that as part of the fire. But now he's he and last year that was fine. He was the guy the offense went through. Now there's Ola Kamara. Now there's a healthy Sebastian Legette. Now there's Slatan. Uh, and when the Dos Santos brothers are on the field and playing and actually you know um, taking part in the game, 
maybe Roman slips down the, the, the pecking order a little bit as far as the offensive motor. And when you are a, a complementary part and not the guy driving the train, um, then all of a sudden that goes from being a, a, a somebody who has emotion and fire and wants to win to someone who just pouts and, and doesn't want to play uh, nice and well with everybody else. So I, I'm a little bit critical of that too. And now I wonder too, we talked about this a lot last year. There was clearly a, a, a fracture in the middle of the locker room. And I thought Ashley Cole did a great job of healing that this year. And I thought that the team started out the season, everyone on the right page. But as you mentioned in Chicago, tipping over the bench when he comes out because he's angry, uh, at, you know, visibly pouting on the field during the game, um, Gio not paying attention to what the game plan was because it clearly did not call for him to stand in the middle of the field with his hands on his hips. Um, maybe Ashley needs to get a little bit more involved. Maybe, uh, or, or it's Laton, maybe someone needs to speak up because, um, you know, Ziggy's personality is, I know he did it a little bit last year, but he's not the hairdryer kind of guy. He's not going to come in there and get in people's faces. I think he's a, a coach who likes veteran players and who likes those guys to take care of that stuff themselves. Maybe it's time for some of these veterans to step up and get everybody on the same page. Well, Ramon should not be complaining about any anything like that. He had 65 touches, which is the most touches out of anybody on the team. And his passing accuracy, however, was just 68.6%. So the guy wasn't exactly, uh, uh, well, he wasn't good on the night, all right? Well, that's where Ashley Cole has to go to him and say, look, buddy, stop complaining about everyone else. You're the one that sucks. We're giving you the ball, and you're not doing anything with it, so we're not going to give it to you anymore. Don't don't blame us. That's basically the email all the co-hosts sent to me, um, which was, hey, uh, you know, pick up, pick it up, all right? You're supposed to be driving this bus. Pick it up, buddy. Pick it up. Um, All right, so we go, again, this is, it's interesting. You look at it. You try to dissect some of these things, but again, I, I wanna—I don't want to blow this up into a bigger thing than it is. It's just a lot of things came to a head in this game. This was a game that I think the reason people are so angry about it, Kevin, quite honestly, people who follow, who watched, was one because they think the referee uh, totally screwed over the LA Galaxy. Uh, Baldomero Toledo there gave out uh, two early yellow cards to LA Galaxy players. Um, eventually, the I think it was three yellow cards to three yellow cards, so it evened itself out. Uh, the early penalty kick that people thought maybe wasn't a penalty kick, I thought it was, but um, I can certainly understand if somebody was upset by that. They, the no call on Zlatan, they're, they're all upset about that. But the other reason that people are so angry is because the Galaxy were in this game, despite the fact that maybe they shouldn't have been. Um, despite the fact that Atlanta was the better team on the night, despite the fact Atlanta pinged the the crossbar twice, and David Bingham had, if there was one player I think who had a great night, it was probably David Bingham. Uh, and he still had a couple bumbles here and there, but you know, all in all, there was nothing he could have done about the goal that went in, uh, and he had just made two fingertip saves, so I was really sort of happy with David Bingham. Everybody else, you're kind of just whatever. Um, I don't know that I had any standouts in it, but the the Galaxy were in this game, Kevin. They had played it to a point to where they were they were close. And if they don't give up that goal, clearly Zlatan said it afterwards. In fact, he said lots of things. Uh, but Zlatan said it afterwards that playing from behind or chasing the game changes the game, and that if you're at home and you're the Galaxy, you can't be chasing the game all the time. Uh, which I think is a is absolutely 100% correct. The Galaxy giving up the first goal is a serious issue that they have not yet addressed uh, in 2018. Well, I want to get back to the soliloquy from 
as Blaton in a minute. But you're right about Bingham. He looked kind of like the Pato in the shooting gallery. He just getting dinged all the time and spinning around and jumping. And I think he was just physically exhausted when that goal finally came in because he had a very athletic two minutes. But speaking of that goal, it ran up the, the upper body and off of Daniel Steris and would have rolled into the goal even if Martinez had not been there. It would have been a known goal, I think. That would have been his second own goal uh, that he had given up in three, uh, Daniel Sturris, in three home games. I know he's one of our favorites, but um, wh- how, how does that happen? How does a guy – and he was facing the goal, which I think is what led to the ball rolling up his body off toward the goal. I don't know if he could have positioned his body another way. The the own goal against LAFC, he was trying to break up a cross, um, you know, a pass that was going across the goal mouth would have led to a certain goal, and he wound up tipping it anyways. But but – is does he need to to sort of take a break and watch a game, or are you okay with him? Uh, do I think the the real question you have to ask yourself right now is is Michael Ciani a better center back than Daniel Stares, or is Tomas Hilliard Arce a better center back than Daniel Stares? And if your answer is yes to either of those, then you have to put him in. Uh, then you put that guy in. Uh, you know, Michael Ciani started this year. Daniel Stares came in whenever Ciani got hurt. Um, and they had sort of flip-flop back and forth in in the preseason. So it's interesting now that Siani is healthy, that you're not seeing Stairs. So I have to imagine that in training, Stairs is the better of those. I can't, I'm not going to blame him on that goal. There's, no, there's nothing that you can do. That ball just all of a sudden came off of somebody, something else. Did it come off the post or did it come off a save? Um, I think I'm, it came off. The, I think it did come off the post and yeah, dropped straight down. There's nothing you can do. What are you going to do? Hey, oops, you're not going to go for the ball. If you don't go for the ball, Joseph Martinez knocks it in. So if you if it doesn't hit you, you know, you're just trying to do anything. It was the same thing with his own goal against LAFC. You're already in a bad position because the defense is broke down. So you're in emergency defending mode. So if you're running at your own goal, and that's what they try to get everybody to do, Kevin. I mean, that's what you're trying to do as an offense is get the defense running at their own goal, right? That's how you take advantage of the defense. And so in this particular case, I, I didn't think I didn't think Steris had a horrible night. I know he gave up a penalty kick and he scored, you know, he would have almost scored an own goal, but overall I don't. Bl- I thought everybody on the defense played actually pretty well, considering that they were way outmatched in speed and in technical ability. And I think that's why Siani didn't play. I think Steris may be a little more mobile. But but you're right. You have to you have to question some of these defensive plays and and look at it a little a little more deeply because uh, a lot of times if a defender is hustling and and one thing that Steris does seem to do, he seems to hustle himself into some of these mistakes on the own goal against LAFC he was the last defender back he was the last guy there um he was the only guy in position for the rebound uh, on the Martinez goal so you look at that and say okay you you can't say well the ball came off him when in the goal that those were two mistakes or you could say he shouldn't have even been there nobody else was there if he's not there they're easy goals so maybe uh you know he hustled himself in into a mistake if you even want to call it a mistake but I also wanted to talk about Salatan's post-game comments because I don't know if, if you're comfortable mentioning some of the stuff he said on the air, yeah, but you, it, it you, was definitely uh, it was edited by it was censored by the LA Galaxy that, afterwards. That is the Go thing. Ahead. No, I was going to say you could just don't say the swear word. You can you can say blank on it just so I don't have to edit it out. I'm fine saying it. In fact, we printed the full thing in our uh, in our game recap. Um, and uh, without it being censored, and that's not an issue, it's more just an issue of on the podcast in order to make sure that it's all ages. We can't have the... That well, s- people could flag it, basically. That's what basically, it he said some colorful things that, that were not... Um, it probably would have been uh, okay on just about any cable network. 
um, maybe even some over-the-air networks. It wasn't that ribald. It wasn't that blue. But um, it, anyway, the Galaxy sent it was it was classic Zlatan. That was very colorful, very descriptive. Um, and they censored that. And my first thought was, why would they do that when they signed this guy, when they brought this guy over? Part of the reason, and, and it, the full-page ad they did speaks to that. Part of the reason they brought him over was because of his personality, his persona, and his and his uh, locatiousness and, and his ability to say some of these things to get people to stop and take notice. And then all of a sudden he says the most colorful thing that anyone said after the game that really did sum it up. Um, and the galaxy takes that out. It's like, wait a minute, it, let Zalatan be Zalatan. That's why he's here. Yeah, it's like it literally never happened. If you, So I'll read the quote as it is in my story. Um, I will censor it, So, but I'll let you sort of know where that where these words are. You can figure out what it is, and I'm sure most of you know it. It's, he says, uh, and this is from my story, it says, uh, when it doesn't go in, it doesn't go in, Ibrahimovic told reporters after the game, but it's not like we had clear chances, to be honest. I think it's the collective, he continued. If you get collective organization, then everything else will work. We work hard. We had a good week. The outcome of the week today wasn't the best. It was the opposite. It was blank. But okay, blank happens also. We need to focus and continue. Tomorrow is a new day. Okay, so when you did when we did get the quotes from the galaxy, Kevin, that sentence just disappears, but the rest of everything is still there. So it's like it never happened. It's not like they cut the quote in and, and did things. Again, it's more journalistic than anything else that, that you sort of sit there. But it was like it never happened. It's not that they left it out. Um, it's it's been erased almost from the from the record, which is just it's it's interesting. There should be no reason. You leave it in. You let him say it. He's a colorful guy. That's fine. You can censor it even in your quote if you want to. In terms of you can blank out the bad words that way. But everybody knows what he said. At least you know he said it because it was an honest opinion of what he had just been a part of. And he didn't say it maliciously. He wasn't angry, Kevin. He wasn't like. He, he, you could tell he was upset and frustrated with the game, but he wasn't like yelling at it at reporters, and he wasn't saying it just to get a rise out of people. He wasn't saying it, quite honestly, Kevin, to be Zlatan. He was just saying it because that was the truth. But it is Zlatan-esque. And, it is. Um, I, I, you know, I just, the galaxies, did they look at that and say, oh my God, this the way this guy talks, we can't have this stuff. Well, you know when he came over, that was what you told us he was going to do. Yeah, yeah, you know you did, and and so that's how it is. But uh, then they also said Gio would play midfield, so who knows? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, he's a midfielder, not a striker. He's somewhere. Who knows? Actually, nobody knows where he plays. That's that's really that's what it all comes down to. Nobody. You, you knows. know what's frustrating about him because we can talk about a lot of players in the team that just are not that good. I mean, there are players that are good, and there are players that are okay, and there are journeymen, and there are serviceable guys, and whatever. Gio is a real, you know, I know people are going to light me up for this. Gio's a really talented guy. Yep. He, you know, he can do some amazing things when he wants to do them. And it, it's frustrating because you know that the Galaxy put this team together, counting on the 110%, I'm, I'm all in, Gio Dos Santos, and that guy was going to help them. And so part of that, you just think, wow, the Galaxy really got sold a bill of goods on this. And, you know, and now Gio can turn around and score five goals next week. And, and I mean, he has the ability to do that. So on one hand, you say, well, the, the Galaxy aren't getting a, a Gio that's totally applied. But then you look at Gio himself, a guy in his late 20s, um, you know, can do some phenomenal things. And he just seems to be uh, just wasting his career. And that's frustrating to watch, too. But, you know, a guy that came up at the same time and apparently has a lot of the same talents that, that he does uh, and some of the same opportunities. And you look at a guy like Carlos Vela, kind of a whole different situation where he is in his career and what he's doing with his team. 
Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like you're in the busy newsroom over there. You they got phones ringing, dogs barking. You're just... You, no, there's no phone ringing. I haven't heard a phone ring. Oh. You must... No, you're, you're, no, was, I, I, it wasn't getting, in the room, but I can hear it. Okay. I see. I have, I have eagle ears on right now. I can hear everything. Uh, all right, because I, I unplug my, my no, office phone. You, here. Do, you do a good job. That's fine. Um, all right, so, th- so that's where we go. Let's get to some listener, uh, some listener calls and some listener questions. So, listener calls first. Let's start with uh, Brian in Atlanta. So here is Brian. Hey, Josh, it's Brian in Honolulu. I know a lot of people are already calling for Ziggy's firing on this one, saying that he's way behind the times, he's not one of the new coaches, blah, blah, blah. He's Atlanta's being coached by Martino. I mean, get real, people. Come on. The guy's world class. <laughs> so, And then you have to look at we were playing a Atlanta team who's allowed – or sorry, who scored about three games on average since the start of the season, and even they only scored two on New York – so I mean, we we've been we played really good against Atlanta. This could have been a complete blowout, but we kept them the two. And that second goal was complete crap. We all saw it. Is nowhere near a penalty, but the one on Ebro definitely should have been. So I mean, realistically, Atlanta won this thing one to nothing. And if that's the case, I think the team played damn well. All right, that was Brian, Brian in Hon- from Atlanta, Hawaii. Ho- Atlanta, Hawaii. I know. I as soon as I was thinking Atlanta, and I was saying Honolulu, Honolulu. Honolulu, Hawaii. So there it is. Okay, so again, he's saying don't panic. I, I will counter this, which is always... I swear to Kevin, I, I have an opinion, and then somebody gives me something, and I just have to always be the like other guy in this. I always had to play the devil's advocate. For me, for Brian, I would say, okay, so Tato Martino is a world-class coach. Why can't the Galaxy have a world-class coach? If you think that Tato Martino is so much better than Siggy Schmidt, which I'm not saying that... Overall, I would disagree with. I think, obviously, Tata Martino has a, has a world-class reputation. Uh, and what Atlanta has done has made them big spenders in the world market um, and not just in the uh, in the MLS. So I certainly think they... But, I mean, why can't they... If that's the case, if the Galaxy coaches are really outmatched by that much, um, then why can't the Galaxy have that coach? Well, I've already had people message me saying, oh, Arsene Wenger is coming to MLS. Arsene Wenger is not going to coach the LA Galaxy. I'm sorry. Is, is this like um, Dom Dwyer? Is this Dom Dwyer is <laughs> not going to get traded? So this, yeah, we can I know stamp this down? I are hoping it is. <laughs> I do, uh, let me say I do not see Arsene Wenger or Capello or, or any of those guys coming to coach the LA Galaxy. I just I just don't see it happening. Um However, um, you know, and and I'm not calling for Ziggy's head. I, I think of anything we learned last year that that uh, Kurt Onofo, I thought was, and and we all had our problems with Kurt, or a lot of people did. I think Kurt probably deserved to stick around all season, certainly longer than the 20 games. Um, and you look at Ziggy, the team's been shut out nine times in the 21 games that he's been manager. Um, you know, he struggled in Seattle in his final little stint there. I still think it's too early in the season to pull the plug just yet, especially with the team that he has and the talent that he has. But you know, if the Galaxy did decide to make a move or if the Galaxy did decide to maybe change things around a little bit, I think they probably have their best option on the team right now in Dominic Kinnear. Mm, I'm sure uh, the people who want to get rid of Siggy Schmidt have the same argument. In fact, it's the cookie-cutter argument with Dominic Kinnear. So I think that if they did get rid of Siggy Schmidt, they'd have to clean house again uh, in terms of coaches, which means building a whole new system again which means who knows who the players are staying and who to, you need some consistency now. You again, I agree with you, Kevin. I think they got rid of Cardinalfo too soon. Um, I think that Siggy Schmidt is a is is will do okay. I think he deserves to have his time. 
uh, here. And I think that the Galaxy have some good bones there. Are they a little slow on defense? Yeah. Is it something maybe that they can they can correct in the uh, in the in the summer transfer window? Maybe after the World Cup. Maybe. Are the Dos Santos brothers gone after the World Cup? I don't know. I'll tell you this right now with the way that we've been talking, you and I, Kevin, it certainly seems like there might be more movement than I thought there would be uh, with the Dos Santos brothers than, than what has been because if this situation stays the same all the way through the World Cup, I don't know how they come back to the Galaxy and have any sort of foothold with Siggy Schmidt and the rest of the Galaxy. Well, I don't think they come back to the Galaxy. I think they stay it with the Galaxy. I think they're watching the World Cup over at Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> um, and, and as far as pushing back, I, I want to push back about the the, the same uh, so, sort of the cookie cutter thing. Look at this team. Ola Kamara and, and Zalatan are your forwards, period. You're not going to – one of those guys not going to play center back. You're not going to change your formation. You know, maybe, as you said, one guy – or as I said, one guy could become a target striker. You have your four midfielders. This is a pretty well-defined team. Maybe there's – maybe you use Siani over Steris or you put uh, Arce Hilliard in there, or Hilliard Arce or whatever his name is. You put yes. him in, Thomas. He goes in there. Um, there are some little – things that you can do but for the most part i think this team is what it is and so if you say there's a cookie cutter argument that you need to bring somebody else in i, I don't know that anybody comes in you know arson wenger could come in and this team would probably line up the same way but a lot of times the same the same message delivered by a different voice it has a big difference uh can make a big difference so uh you know it you're right. They probably at some point would have to clean house. And I, I think they found out last year in the middle of the season, it's it's difficult to, to get off a horse when it's in the middle of the stream. And if they made a change, and I'm not saying they need to, and I'm not saying I even advocate one at this point, but if they did, uh, I don't think there's a worldwide search in the middle of the MLS season. I think Dominic Kinnear steps up, and yes, they, they play the same way, but they have a different guy explaining it to them, and sometimes that makes the difference. All right. Uh, going from uh, one possible change to another possible change here is uh david in las vegas who called in hey josh it's david from well i guess now in uh las vegas for the time being um i'm not really gonna ask a question about the game i'm trying to bite my tongue and until i, I see a little bit more about forming an opinion but i hear i got a question for you in k and, and i know how much k-backs loves sticking at the rumor mill but um luka modric has been uh madrid midfielder has been uh Linked with a move to MLS, he's 32 years old. I believe his contract at Madrid runs out in 2020. And I know Madrid's always looking for new Galacticos, especially at the uh, center mid position. Uh, you know, they're, they're talking about him maybe coming and joining up with Zlatan in L.A. Just wanted to see uh, what your guys' opinion on that, if that could be a viable option, maybe an upgrade over Jonah if, they're, if, if him and Gio could be sold. Just wanted to get your opinion if there's any steamrolling on that one, if it's just, uh, if it's just dust in the wind on this one. Thanks, guys. I'll talk to you later. Bye. All right. Uh, all right. So David asking about Luka Modric, which I'd seen this rumor before. I, I don't know that we heard anything about it, Kevin. Um, it, I'll let you answer. Have you heard anything about Luka Modric from Real Madrid possibly coming to the LA Galaxy? A little bit. I did have a, a journalist from uh, uh, from Europe reach out to me the other day. They had done an exclusive interview with uh, with him, and he talked about playing with Zlatan. So that that rumor is beginning to circulate a little bit in Europe, too. Um, I do think there will be a lot of movement. Let me just say this. I think there will be a lot of movement after the World Cup. Um, I think there will be players wanting to come, players who will come. Um, the Galaxy, you know, they, Chris Klein told us when they signed Jonathan, when we talked about, well, now you're all loaded up on DPs through 2019. What are you going to do? 
if someone falls in your lap. And he said, the one thing about Jonathan is that his contract is a good contract. It's a club contract. It's $2 million a year that they think they can move him. Alessandrini is under that. They could probably move him. If they had a chance to go get somebody, um, I think that, that you would see them uh, you know, start heating up the transfer wire and try to move some of these guys who aren't contributing now, whether it would be Modric or who it would be. I just I do think there'll be a lot of players coming over. And I, I talked to a, a player, a, a big-name European player who's playing for a Midwest team now um, and uh, has been doing well but is just does not like where he is, doesn't like the city, doesn't like the team, doesn't like the weather. Uh, is very unhappy. And to me, what I take away from that is these players talk to one another. And frankly, I see the Galaxy and and the two New York teams is really the place where maybe Seattle, where uh, those kind of players are going to want to come. You know, for all the positives about Sporting Kansas City, great facility, I don't see a lot of European players going there. I don't see them going to Real Salt Lake. I don't see them going to Portland, the great atmosphere, but it's a very small town. I don't think they want to go there. Uh, if they're coming from Milan or, or some of these cosmopolitan cities. So uh, if some of these players come, I think we're looking at LAFC, the Galaxy, and the two New York teams. Those will be the the, the first places these players talk to. So will the Galaxy roster change after the World Cup? I think there's a good chance that it will. Yeah, I'm sort of leaning that way too, and I, and I didn't feel that way um, maybe, maybe two or three weeks ago. So it, again... Just very interesting. Let's go to an well, email. He, yeah, go ahead. One more thing on that. Here's why you didn't feel that way a couple of weeks ago. I, I think this show is evidence that the Dos Santos brothers are maybe on, on, on a little bit of thin ice. Maybe they played out uh, their welcome a little bit. The team, if we're ready to move on, perhaps the team's reached that conclusion. We did see Ziggy huddling with, with uh, Pete yes. Bainis and Chris Klein mm-hmm. yes. after the game. Yes, we did. And Excuse me. I, I was saying no. Yes, we did. That was that yeah, was and, that, and, that's and out of the were, ordinary. We should point out that's out of the ordinary. That, that does not happen. And, and and they did it. Uh, you know, a lot of times the the, the galaxy kind of slink around and and when the media comes, they jump into closets and everything else. And and Pete Vianis pretends to be on the phone all the time. The fact that they did that in the middle of the hallway as the media is walking by, it, part of that uh, I wondered if there was a little bit of a message there. Um, but the point was they were talking about players standing around, about players not applying themselves, um, not any names that we're going to mention here, but clearly there's a frustration level and I, I, you know, it's probably the same frustration level. Some of the fans have, um, I don't know that they're wedded to these three DPs through 2019. Uh, and I think the clock is, you know, the Zlatan experiment, the clock is ticking on that. He signed for two years. He's going to be what? 38 by the time his contract runs out. I don't see him sticking around like Bartolo Colon and pitching till he's 45. So I, I do feel that they they're facing a little bit of a deadline. And if they all of a sudden have a couple of European players, a couple of big European names who want to come over here after the world cup, um, I think that they would move heaven and earth to make that happen if it was the kind of player that they wanted. And again, those players are going to want to come. You know, Atlanta is now in that equation. Atlanta would yeah. be a team where players would want to go. But there is a, a small handful of teams where a major European talent would want to come play. And I don't think it's – for all the good things, that they're in first place. I don't think it's Sporting Kansas City. Uh, I think it's L.A. and New York and perhaps now Atlanta or Seattle. All right. Uh, listener email. This comes in from Gabriel. Hello, COG. Thanks for all the hard work and dedication all of you put in. I work overnights, and it always makes it easier when I've got a new COG waiting for me in the podcast feed. So I was at Stubby on Saturday, Section 135, and I wanted to share some ideas I'd had about what might help iron out some of the wrinkles with the Galaxy. I saw an empty space behind Ibranola that had them working back for the ball most of the game instead of pressing their back line. 
how do you think we'd look with the diamond? Same striker pair up top, Gio underneath, Jonah on the right, Roman uh, uh, on the left, and uh, Kitchen bringing, hanging back and, and playing that defensive midfielder role. Uh, Backline stays the same, and it still gives space for Felcher and Cole to push. Yes, it limits Roman, but he'd be paired with Cole on the left, and I think that he might be, be and that might be best for his style of play. Let me hear what you guys think. Also, do we still have the top spot on the allocation list? Can we still go grab an Eric Lehigh or a Villafania? Uh, do we have pieces we'd be willing to part with? Boateng, Romney, Steris? I'd be okay with a move to help get or uh, to get help with the outside back pool. That's it. Thanks all. Go Galaxy. Best, Gabriel. All right, let's break some of this down. Jump back into the uh, the email. Uh, so first of all, asking about a, a little diamond formation um, in there and, and bringing in Giovanni Dos Santos to be the point on that diamond. Uh, this would, of course, mean that Sebastian Legette would not be on the field as a starter uh, and that Roman Alessandrini would be playing on his opposite side. What do you think, Evan? Well, first of all, um, I hope Gabriel's not using uh, the uh, operating heavy machinery when he listens to us late at night. That could be really dangerous. Um, the, having the point of the diamond 60 yards out is probably not a good idea. So Gio is going to have to learn where the goal is and move forward. Um, the diamond idea is not a bad idea if you had the right personnel. I, I think you could also just tell your midfielders, hey, move up a little bit. Um, and, you know, that would solve the problem. I'm not sure changing the formation is necessarily – um, going to work and the personnel would not work. I, th I think if anything, I would maybe put, I don't know, would you put Jonathan at the tip of the diamond and move him up? Is, is that the idea? Yeah. Um, there is a lot of space there. He's right. There is a lot of space and that's why Ola was backtracking. Certainly he's a lot of times not going to backtrack and play defense. And that's why Ola was backtracking. And if you move the midfield up, then maybe he gets to push forward a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it certainly goes to point to to what we talked about earlier with Baggio Husidic not being able to fill that space. And I think that if you have Jonathan Dos Santos, you certainly do it better. And the Galaxy kind of almost play a little bit of a diamond whenever Jonah plays anywhere. Jonah is definitely in front of Perry Kitchen. Perry Kitchen is definitely behind uh, Jonathan Dos Santos. So there is a feeling of a... Um, you know, of a, a a diamond to that. So, again, it's about personnel and getting it. There's going to be somebody else, uh, another listener has a question about a formation as well that we'll talk about here in a little bit. But the other thing I wanted to cover was, um, do we still have, uh, or, or do the LA Galaxy still have the top allocation list spot? And yes, they do. They are number one in allocation. They have been. They can still, they will be first if, if a returning American player comes back. And with the international slots, Kevin, that they have basically maxed out because they got Joao Pedro down on LA Galaxy too. Um, in order to make sure that they're roster compliant right now. Um, with those things going on, uh, maybe the Galaxy could go and get somebody from the allocation list. They're not roster excluded. They still have a spot on the roster. They could just add somebody, straight up add somebody, as long as they could fit that person into the salary cap. So the allocation list is still there for the Galaxy. As, as, um, and I checked that, I think, a week ago. So nothing's moved. So that's where it sits. All right. Ah. Uh. Do you think they'd pick anybody up on allocation, Kevin? I think I think well, they'd I, entertain it, right? They, they could, but you know the thing is, the American players are not going to be affected by the World Cup like the European players are, or, or they may not be. I mean, they they you could still look at a guy saying, "Okay, I'm going to play out the string here in Europe, and and since we're not going to be in the World Cup for four years, uh, I'm going to go home and retire." I suppose that's an option. But when I'm looking at the European players, I'm looking at them saying, "Okay, uh, that's the end. You know, my international career is over." Uh, I'm going to go have some fun in the U.S. before I retire for sure. That's why I see European players coming. It, it could be an option for the American players thinking that, look, you know, I'm not playing for a World Cup anymore. 
Uh, I miss my family back home. I'm going to go back home and play there. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's go to uh, continue on with our questions. Obviously, we already shouted out Chris for giving us the injury update on uh, on Emmanuel Boateng, and we'll work to confirm that. I already asked uh, the LA Galaxy. They told me I'd have to ask Ziggy whenever they return to training on Tuesday. But they did Ziggy not. said you have to ask Jonathan. This, that, is get, this is getting really weird. Yeah, but I don't need to know about Jonathan. I need to know about Emmanuel Boateng. I imagine oh, Ziggy okay. can probably tell me about Ima. Uh, that, that's probably a thing. But anyway, so Chris, Chris, shout out on that, so we appreciate it. Uh, Brian writes in a different formation. He basically is saying... Uh, do you think we'll ever see, see Siggy play a 3-5-2 formation again? With the Galaxy being so midfield heavy this year, it seems like this is the only way to get all of our best players on the field at the same time. It worked extremely well for Antonio Conte in Europe, and it looks like Toronto is also doing well with this formation. Would love to hear you and K-Bax's thoughts on this. Uh, I have two things here, Kevin, before we uh, d- dissect this. Actually, one thing, really, before I dissect this, is that the K-Bax nickname has really taken off here. I mean... My name is Panda. It's pan- is, it's P-Bax. It's P-Bax now. Uh, so get it right. So anyway, so the 3-5-2. Here is his 3-5-2, though. I have so so I don't mind the three five two. Galaxy played it a little bit against Vancouver. It was extremely defensive when they played it. Uh, the midfielders that sort of moved up out of defense. Uh, first of all, you had three center backs, which I sort of link to a three five two. If you're going to play three in the back, you sort of need your three center backs because those outside midfielders are going to come back and play defense, and you need that center to be very strong. So it can make you very defensively strong if you have the right players in it. But here was his his players that he has. In the middle, which was Cole, Leggett, Jonah, Kitchen, Rolf, and Ramon. All right, and if you do it that way, I'm, I'm. Excuse me, I, and I even spoke out of turn because I'm trying to read it a little, little tiny picture. He had Cole, Shelvick, and Rolf as the back three there, which means that Cole is still expected to get forward, and Rolf is still expected to get forward. So it's sometimes you're going to have Shelvick all by himself. So I don't buy that. If you're going to go three in the back, you got to put Steres, Siani, Steres. Uh, Hilliard, Arce, and Shelvick, you know, back there. It's basically Shelvick's center and then those guys on the other side. That's how I see this. And then if you go into the five, if you put Legette, Jonah, Kitchen, Roman, and Gio in there, understand that Roman doesn't play defense, so you're going to ask him on the wing to come back and cover. You're going to ask Kitchen to have to come back and play defense. You're going to have to ask Jonah to come back and play defense, and you're going to have to ask Legette to come back in defense. They don't all have to do it at the same time, Kevin, but they all have to play defense in order for that to work, and I don't see that's too offensive for me. Kitchen is the only guy who I'm convinced will come back on a regular basis, and then you're basically using him as almost another their center back so it gets dicey I understand the need for people to put a five in the middle but when they do it I feel like they're always going too offensive in that knowing that you need to have some defensive cover back there on the back line that's that's at least my thinking well yeah when Chelsea used it they did have three center backs too and I think that's the way to do it and Hilliard Arce played very well by the way in that Vancouver game his only start of the year and he started in that uh, three-man back line played very well I think Allison Drini was definitely out of that game, which is why it worked right. with the yep. five men in the midfield. I think Ashley Cole was also out of that game. He I think was. he is somebody that could do that, though, that could run up and down the field. Romney, as, as I recall, played in that game as a winger and did pretty well, too. Yep. The thing I do like about it is that you say, okay, we're deep in the midfield. Let's get as many midfielders out there as we can. But as we just said, if you're going to do that, it, you almost wind up with – 
the two wingers, Ashley Cole and Romney, are defenders. So it's, as you said, it's a very defensive posture. It's not an attacking posture. Um, and, and so you really don't get your five best midfielders out of there. I mean, let, let's look at it and say, okay, Allison Drini can't, isn't going to play in that because he can't play defense, and Gio's not going to drop back, so those two are on the bench. Jonathan will be in there. He can probably do both things and legit. But then you're going to have Romney and and Cole on the outside, they're typically defenders, so it's almost like you have a five-man back line at times. I just I thought it worked really well in the Vancouver game, but I think that was a, a function of the personnel that were available. Yeah. I don't think you wind up with your five best midfielders out there. Yeah, and I even question if you put Ashley Cole in there in a in a in a three-man back line, or if you're going to put him as one of the wingers, uh, because I question whether or not he can handle going back and forth all that much. He, he's in great shape. It's not a knock on Ashley Cole. It's just that uh, Dave Romney. Is was the guy who played in that position against Vancouver. Uh, Romney told me after about 25 minutes he was gassed. Um, so in that game, um, and did and still did a good job. I mean, you know, a little bit of joking aside there, um, how it goes. But yeah, I mean, it's a it can be very offen- offensive as well. And I don't want to pretend like it depends on who you stock the midfield with. I just think you have to keep a balance. The Galaxy's defense is much maligned by every fan saying they give up too many goals. Well, you're going to take away defense if you're going to put all of your best attacking midfielders in the midfield. You're you're moving a defender away. And the guy like maybe Ashley Cole doesn't even start, and he's your captain. Is that it, Ashley Cole has been pretty consistent for the Galaxy over the last couple of years? I'm pretty sure you want him on the field, at least in what, my mind. What, what all this is, it, it, what we're talking about, is trying to do the same thing that we were trying to do last summer, which was find a link between the midfield to the strikers. If you remember that when Jonathan came in, he was the answer to that question: who's going to provide the link? Because Gio wasn't doing it; uh, he was having to play as a forward. And they couldn't get the ball to Giassi in, in good position. So they needed a link. And they wanted to get – it's the same thing now. Um, they need a link to Zlatan and, and Ola, and they don't have it. I mean, look at uh, uh, Zlatan's three goals. Two of them were on assist from Ashley Cole. Yep. Um, so that's a defender. Where's the link from the midfield? That just is non-existent at this point. Uh- and that is the issue. I mean, that's the bottom line issue. That's how it's always going. We're, we're always trying to pigeonhole uh, Geo into that role. We thought Jonathan Dos Santos would be there. I mean, you could even get somebody like even a Dax McCarty right now or a Sasha Kleschen, a guy who can play that link, and the gal- this Galaxy team would be better. And that's the problem. Jonathan Dos Santos was a huge blow, and it's one of the key reasons. I would put almost 90% of the reason the Galaxy could not get the offense really going was because there was no number there was no guy there pushing the pace from the middle distributing out and finding these guys and then the movement off the ball was probably the other 10% that I wasn't exactly thrilled with against Atlanta United but overall the the defense played well the galaxy were in that game and they still didn't have the main piece that they were missing and it's going to continue to be a question there is no number 10 there is no creative playmaker uh, Giovanni Dos Santos is going to get a chance to play that role here, Kevin, uh, probably going forward through uh, until uh, possibly he's off to the World Cup, um, as long as he doesn't get injured. And uh, I guess the Galaxy are going to see how that plays out because he's certainly going to have to take a more predominant role here as he's healthy and coming back. Well, one more thing, the dead horse the dead horse is still breathing. So let me kick it again. Um, you know, of the last three goals, all by Zalatan, one was on the Steris header that led to the 40-yard wonder strike. That's not... A, a service from the midfield. Right. Then the other two, one was a uh, was a cross from Ashley Cole, the header against LAFC. Then the other one was that long, long, long over the top ball from Ashley Cole uh, in Chicago. So again, none of the service coming from the, from the midfield, coming from defenders. Two of them at incredibly long range. So uh, that is not a recipe for offensive success. 
It is not, and uh, that was, again, why we highlighted Rolf Felcher being the guy who created the most chances, which, by the way, you could see a lot of the creation comes from the outside backs in this formation, especially in the 4-4-2. That's how Bruce Arena used it whenever he was using it. Uh, Got to get those guys forward, but at the same time, the quality has to be there. I'm not happy with uh, with Felcher's quality, for sure, on, on those services. Ashley Cole's done a little bit better job, but again, find some creation in the midfield. Allison Drini, legit. Uh, and then in this game, it was Husidic, but it's got to be Jonathan Dos Santos or Giovanni Dos Santos here very soon. They have to get something going, and, and you've got to get guys like Kamara lit up as well. Ola Kamara is going to be key to this offense. I know Zlatan's there, but you can key off Zlatan. Zlatan didn't get a shot at all. Didn't happen. And if you focus on him, this that, that'll be continued. MLS teams can defend Zlatan Ibrahimovic. It's not impossible, all right? But... Uh, if you only give them one option, they'll be able to throw multiple guys on it and they'll be able to make it happen. If you can get Ola Kamara firing and scoring goals and they have to worry about him and Alessandrini and Leggett, um, those guys, you start getting them working forward there, Kevin, and all of a sudden the Galaxy have you know four legit and possibly even five legit goal scorers in that top six that they have, and now now you're cooking with fire. This is the progression you're looking for from the Galaxy, though. They have to start getting goals. They have to start doing all this stuff. This is These are things that have to go. But progression-wise, again, just to recap the beginning of this thing, the Galaxy have played the three toughest teams in Major League Soccer. They've lost all three of them, but that's probably a better sign than if they had been losing to teams that they shouldn't have been losing to. Right now, the Galaxy, middle of the road, slightly above middle of the road team, so it, it doesn't surprise me that the upper echelon teams are going to beat them. And obviously a big game on Saturday coming against New York Red Bulls, a game I think the Galaxy should win. I think they have the talent to win. Um, and New York's struggling a little bit. So it, it, let's see how all of this plays out this next Saturday. If the Galaxy can continue to progress forward, um, then then you have something here. If, if they start to stall out, if they can't score goals, Kevin, uh, it's going to be a long season. It'll be a better season than last year, but it's going to be a long season. Well, I, I think it's almost a must-win, It's and that's ridiculous to say this early in the season. And then what do you say to a team if they lose a must-win game? Do they just go home? But the reason I say that is because the next three are on the road, uh, and th- this is a game at home where they haven't scored in, in their last two matches. So this is a, a, a much more important game than your typical um, late April game against uh, a sort of mid-table team. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, anything else you got for us? Are we uh, are we good? No, I think we're good. All right, if you're looking for Mr. Kevin Baxter on Twitter, it's at kbaxter11. And, of course, head on over to latimes.com where you can read all of Kevin's wonderful soccer coverage of soccer here in the Southland covering the LA Galaxy and LAFC. Check him out. Please help him out. If you're looking for me on Twitter, at jguessman, J-G-U-E-S-M-A-N, and of course, at Galaxy Podcast, where you can find me. Head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com, where you can get scarves, stickers, and all that fun stuff. Cornerofthegalaxy.com, click on the shop button, read all of our articles, listen to our podcasts, do all that fun stuff. All right, uh, that does it for uh, for us tonight. Again, uh, LA Galaxy will come up on the, uh, on the New York Red Bulls on Saturday at StubHub Center, last game before a three-game road trip. I'll be there. Kevin will be there. It'll be a great time. Don't want to miss it. For Mr. Kevin Baxter, I'm Josh Gessman. You've been listening to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Have a great one, everybody. You've been listening to the Corner of the Galaxy from the Box podcast on cornerofthegalaxy.com. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Galaxy Podcast. And be sure to check out and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook by searching for Corner of the Galaxy. 
And for all of your independent LA Galaxy news, discussion, and entertainment, including this podcast, head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com. Fans, thanks for listening. We ask that you be kind and courteous to your neighbors as you leave the podcast. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again. Until then, I'm Michael Araujo, and on behalf of the entire Corner of the Galaxy crew, goodbye, everybody.